are listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can visit us online at covenantchurch.us. We are all on mission day to day in every walk of life. This message is from part three of our series, Our Work as Worship, where we are discussing the ways we can use our work, learning, parenting, and daily life as worship unto the Lord. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Amen, amen. If you would just stay standing this morning. Ah, feels good. Feels good to be with you all this morning. Does it feel good to be here this this glorious day? Yeah. Uh, Hey, before we get started this morning, I I thought I would just kind of address something. Last couple weeks, if we could just kind of have a heart to heart. The last couple weeks have been interesting, just in terms of like the human collective around the world, haven't they? Last couple weeks, a bit jarring a bit in your face, whether we're talking about refugees, whether we're talking about terrorism, things up in your face like that. And listen, I get questions a lot. I guess as a pastor, people think I have all the answers and they're right. (laughs) I get questions a lot. Uh, uh, And Travis, what do you think about the the refugee situation? What do you think about this terrorism issue? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And oftentimes, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't really preach sermons about those types of things. I really feel like those are, are better answered in conversations with people. You know what I mean? Um, but, I, but I see things on Facebook all the time and people post, definitely post their ideas on there and their thoughts. But today, I thought that I would actually um, address this, this whole issue. And, but I want to do it in a different way. I want to do it through... Uh, well, let me just show you my direction. Psalms chapter 127. Let me just show you my direction here. It says this, Psalms 127, starting verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Say heritage. heritage. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I love this passage. I share it all the time. I love it. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So when we talk about our world, the state of our world, when we talk about refugees, when we talk about terrorism, when we talk about foreign policy, when we talk about any of these things, um, really the answer is twofold. Number one, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. How, How do we handle terrorism? With the gospel. How do we handle refugees? With the gospel. How do we handle what's going on in our culture with the gospel? But secondarily, secondly, rather, uh, one of the greatest things that we can do, now listen now, don't miss this. One of the greatest things that we can do as Christian men and women is to raise up a generation of gospel-centered, biblically literate, critically thinking men and women. Now that may not be the immediate answer that you want, because it's hard work and it takes a while. But I guarantee you, if we invest in the next generation, we will raise up a generation that will lead into the next generation. Or we don't, and then we're one generation away from losing Christianity in our culture altogether. That's the fact. So, I thought I'd start off light here today. Uh, now you say, like, so we're going to have a kid series today? Yep, that's exactly right. We're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk about parenting. 
in the middle of a work series. Because let's be honest, raising children is hard work. Can I get an amen? It's hard work. It's some of the hardest work that, that there is uh, besides being a, a construction plumber. But you had to be here for that. Yeah. Um, today, the sermon is entitled, A Glorious Inconvenience. And I'm excited to jump into it. Uh, did you guys show up prepared today? Pens and notebooks at the ready? Did we show up with some expectation? Yes? Okay, you can warm up your vocal cords if you want to. A little bit this morning, I like a, a church that preaches back at me, if you know what I mean. Hey, I want you to turn to your neighbors, and touch three people this morning and say, you were once a glorious inconvenience as you find your seats this morning. So as I just stated, kids are hard work. They are. They are hard work. And... Uh, yeah, it's not necessarily that we think of them that way before we have kids, but then shortly after having them, the reality of it sets in. I mean, think about when you first had a kid. And, and by the way, if you are single and without kids and you're like, hey, this isn't relevant to me. Ah, it is. OK. And even if it's even if you're like, I'm never going to have kids and I'm going to never going to get married. All right. Well, just don't be selfish today because you can indulge in all the other sermons. OK, so this one is for the rest of us. Beat up, bruised, hurt tired, about to go crazy parents in the room. Amen? Amen. Yes, they can't even vocalize it. They, they, they all said it. It was just like a scraggly, like, amen. I mean, they've been hurt for years. So just help us out, okay? Yeah, so the reality of the difficult work that it is to, to raise a kid is it, kind of lost at first because if you have, when you have your first kid, everything's so new. You know what I'm talking about? Like the doctor hands you this little buttery ball of joy and you just you're looking into this baby's eyes and it's it's amazing it's life-changing it's 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 incredible and then you have this realization I have to take this thing home with me now you would think that you would have thought of that previously but in the moment you're, you're not really thinking about that and it becomes a cold hard reality when you're strapping in this miniature human into a car seat and you're like I don't know what I'm doing. Is this like, should I be taking this thing home with me? You know what I mean? And then you drive down the road and, and yeah, and, and you're kind of freaking out and you're watching every pothole and, and uh, you know, you're making sure to go exactly the speed limit, maybe a little bit under. And, and then you realize a couple of things. It's, it's really hard because these things, these children, these tiny people, they require food like at least three times a day. You have to feed them like a lot. Um, not only that, but you, you have to uh, make sure that they sleep. Um, not only that, you have to clothe them and um, you have to bathe them like every day. Like you have to do these things every single day. You have to feed them, you have to, you have to bathe them, you have to do these things all the time. And, and, and then um, they get a little bit older and they don't want the food that you give them, right? And then they just start peeing all over everything, all the time, including you. They just, all the time, right? And, and, and then they scream when you put them in the tub and they freak out and you're like, am I an abusive parent because I'm wanting to clean my kids, right? Uh, and then they get a little bit older and they want stuff. Then they get a little bit older and they want everything. Then they get a little bit older and they break some stuff and then they get a little bit older and they break everything. This is why daddy and mommy can't have nice things, right? And they get a little bit older and they notice the boy in class or they notice the girl at church. And then you wish you could go back a couple years and they get a little older and 
They want you to help them pay for college and then they want to get married and then they have kids and they want you to babysit for free all the time. And, all right? and then they want to put you in a home so you don't have to talk to them anymore. I'm just saying like kids are, which I fully intend on doing with my parents, kids are hard, hard work. And let's be honest, they're not just hard work. They're a little bit of an inconvenience. It's okay to say that. They're, they're a little bit, just slightly, just slight, a little bit of an inconvenience. Um, the other night, our Sea Life group got together, and, and uh, we were really excited because th- this, this Sea Life group is, is multiplying out next term. In fact, we're multiplying out a couple groups, and we're really excited about that. That's one of the purposes of Sea Life, to raise up leaders and, and to release them. And so this is like something that we've been working towards for over a year. So a really big night. We were getting together and we were celebrating, kind of having this faux birthday party. We had some birthday cakes because we were birthing out these new groups. It was really fun. And so everybody brought food and we're all sitting around. We're talking and, and we're reminiscing about the last term. And all of a sudden I hear somebody yell, Travis, get over here fast, which is always very exciting to hear, right? So I run to the back room where I have found that my two youngest twin ninjas, apparently, had uh, flooded the downstairs bathroom at, uh, at our Sea Life host home. Sorry, Lindsay and Brandon. Um, <laughs> still, sorry. And uh, yeah, I mean, they just had completely overflowed the toilet. And, and here's the question. Did they stop to consider my feelings in the matter? No. Did they even think like, is this a good time for us to stuff things in a hole in a toilet? Flush it repeatedly? No, they didn't, they didn't consider me at all. They didn't consider my time schedule. They didn't consider the fact that this was a big night for daddy and, and he's excited about it. No, 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 no. They just stuffed everything they could stuff into a hole in the toilet, kept pushing the flushing mechanism, then jumped up and down in the miniature small pond they had created the house, laughing maniacally as their dad walked in. Children are a slight bit inconvenient. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Slightly, slightly, slightly. Inconvenient, inconvenient, inconvenient. But I believe as we're going to discover today, not only are they inconvenient, they're actually a glorious inconvenience. And I want to explain to you what that means. Let's start off in Ephesians chapter 6. If you could jump there, jump there. I think it's interesting that the same passage that scripture talks about spiritual warfare. It also talks about how to raise children. All right, anyway, chapter six, verse four says this. If you could just read this out loud with me. Let's do this together. It says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the, say the last word, of the Lord. Lord. Now, Lord is an extremely exalted title as Paul uses it, isn't it? In Philippians 2, Paul writes that that God has highly exalted him. Him being who? Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. So God has highly exalted Jesus and given Jesus a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Jesus Christ is what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. Lord the glory of God the Father. Now, maybe write this down. To say that Jesus Christ is Lord means that he is, number one, the rightful king of the universe. Think about that. 
Jesus is the rightful king. It's not that he's made claims that are um, absum, uh, you know, unsubstantiated. It's actually, it's actually that he has rightful claim to be called king of the universe. Calling him Lord means that he is ruler over all the world, that, that he is the commander of the armies of heaven, that he is triumphant. Can we celebrate that? Triumphant over sin and death and pain and Satan and hell and fear and hatred. I wonder, could we celebrate that? Is that something worth celebrating? That's what it means that Jesus Christ is, is Lord. Not only that, but we believe by calling him Lord, it's, it's, it's correct because one day, Jesus will establish his kingdom of righteousness and joy on the earth and reign forever and ever and ever to the glory of God the Father. So to confess Jesus Christ as Lord means that you believe that he will triumph over all things. Do you agree with that? That one day, no matter how bad the earth is, no matter how bad things get, no matter how depressed you feel, anxious you feel, situation, circumstance, one day, Jesus Christ will reign. He will triumph over all things. He's not a small town, miniature God. He is the king of the universe. He is Lord of all. Therefore, therefore, whatever else it means to bring up our children up in the discipline of the Lord, the king and commander of all things, it certainly means this. It means a whole lot of things, but it certainly means this, that we should bring up our children to understand we serve a God who is triumphant. First and foremost, we must raise up our children to understand that our God is triumphant. Bring up children who see everything in relation to the triumph of God and bring up children who see the path of sin as a dead end street, no matter what society, friends, culture has to say about it. Would you agree? That's what it means to bring up children in the discipline of the Lord. And so I love this passage in Psalm 127, verses 3. I love it for a couple of reasons. Let me read it one more time. It says this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, a couple months, years ago, rather, we spent some time talking specifically about this passage and how children are to be launched out into the world. I'm going to reference that in a minute. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, with children. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Here's, here's one of the first points, just a sub first point, if you will. We need, listen now, we need to begin seeing our children as weapons against our enemy. We need to begin seeing our children as weapons against our enemy. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa what's our enemy? We talked about that last week, Ephesians chapter six. It tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So our enemy is not flesh and blood, but what? Darkness, evil, things not of this world. That is our enemy. And so our homes should be a boot camp. Amen? Some of you are like, mm-hmm, amen. That's what I've been saying. I don't know. Our homes should be a training ground, a, a boot camp, a fortress where, where we're training the greatest fighters to go out and combat the world. That's what our homes should be. We, we, we need to have homes uh, launching out children into the world, ready to do damage to the cause and, and kingdom of Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. Children are the living messages we send out for a time we will never see. So send them out correctly. 
And in order to do this, we, we must train, we must equip, we must, we must get in there correctly. Like in order to launch, there must be, and here's the big word, there must be vision. If you take your notes this morning, would you just write that really big in your notes? Vision. In order to correctly equip and train and launch, there must be vision. And this is where we as parents have to do hard work work. As parents, or as future parents, we must do the hard work of, of giving our children a vision of God's triumph in the world and instilling in them the feeling of honor that it is to fight on the side of truth and righteousness and victory. That's what we have to do. If we do nothing else, that would be successful. Would you agree with that? That's what we have to do. That's what we're called to do as Christian men and women who have children, who have been entrusted with these, with these kids. We have to give them a correct vision of God and we have to instill in them the honor that it is to fight for God. That's what we have to do. So I wanna give you, just kind of briefly, very practical, very, very practical this morning, okay? Less of a, of, 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 of a preaching and more of just a teaching, kind of bringing out the teacher today, okay? I want to just give you five ways, five steps, five points, whatever you want to say, uh, on how we can instill the vision, not only in your life, but also in your home and your kids. Number one, you ready? Number one, here we go. Number one, how to instill this vision. Number one, make all of life God-saturated. Make all of life God-saturated. Saturated. The first thing that we need to do, the first thing that parents need to do to raise children who hope in the triumph of God is to make all of life God-saturated. Now, as I mentioned, we have twins. We have five kids total. Um, and hopefully there's a period at the end of that sentence in my life. But we have, uh, but we have five kids total. And uh, yeah, two, our two youngest um, twins, uh, Asher and Moses, uh, couldn't be any more different. You know what I mean? Now, it's interesting about Asher. Asher has what he calls his blankie. Now, this is pretty common, right? I guess for a little kid, but, but he, he is legit obsessed with his blankie. It's this blue blankie blanket, half of it. You know, the, the backside is really silky and smooth. The other side is kind of cottony, and, and he has to have it to go to sleep. I mean, has to have it to go to sleep. If he does not have it, he will not go to sleep. Believe me, we have experienced this. One time he stained this thing, it was downstairs and we hadn't washed it before bedtime and, and he just stood in his crib and screamed until we went downstairs and literally washed it, put it in the dryer and then brought it to him and then he literally took it, laid down and went to sleep. He has to have his blankie. Now, now he also wants it during the daytime when if he gets scared. If he gets scared, he'll run up to his little bedroom, he'll jump into his little crib, he'll pull it out, he'll like flip back over his crib, and he'll walk downstairs and he'll hold it next to him. Or, or, or if he gets hurt, he'll do the same thing. The other day he hurt his hand and, and he ran upstairs just saying, blanky, blanky, blanky. He just ran upstairs, grabbed it, and he was rubbing it on his hand where he got hurt. He loves the thing. He's got to have it, right? But interestingly enough, most of the time during the day, he doesn't really want his blanket. He's not really that interested in it. Um, when he's just hanging out, when we're, when we're doing lunch or dinner or doing stuff as a family, he doesn't really want it, nor does he need it, nor does, or do I think that he really thinks about it. It's interesting, he only wants the blanket when he feels like he needs the blanket. 
He only wants it when, when he needs security. He only wants it when he's hurt. He only wants it when he's scared. Now, I think this is the perfect picture of, of how a lot of us live our lives in relationship to God. To be honest with you, we, God is just like a necessary evil for us to some degree. Like we don't really want him as much in our lives. We just want him when we need him. We just want him when it's convenient. Would you agree with that? Like, so when we need some security, we go to God. When we're feeling a little bit anxious, we go to God. When we're feeling scared, we go to God. When we're hurt, we're going to God. And that's all well and good. We should. But when everything's fine, everything's fine. We don't necessarily live a God-saturated life. God really makes no difference to us at all. It doesn't really influence the way that we think about what we put into our minds, does he? Do we really think about what we watch on TV at the movies? Do we really think about the type of music that we're letting into our minds, into our children's mind? Do we really think about the, the places that we go, the way that we act at home, the way that we talk, our habits? And of course, here's the key. Our kids know this. Our kids know this. And they draw a couple obvious conclusions. You want to know what they are? They draw some obvious conclusions by your life and not living a God-saturated life. They, here, here's what they think. God is not really relevant to you. So God is not going to be relevant to them. He's not relevant to our lives. And that the cause of Christ is nothing that exciting because it's not all-consuming for you. See, apparently God is not exciting enough to build your whole life around. I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest. So when your kids look at, at you not having a God-saturated life, they, they think that he's just kind of, like I said, a necessary evil to be tolerated on Sunday morning or maybe during a sea life group or, or whatever, but he's totally disposable Monday through Saturday. And they get that from our, our lives, right? So the first thing we have to do to instill this vision is that we have to genuinely, and there's the key word, look at your neighbor and say, genuinely. genuinely. See, here's the thing about being genuine, you can't fake it. It is or it isn't. So we have to genuinely have this walk with Christ. We have to genuinely live out a God-saturated life. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says like this, whether you eat or drink or what's that word? Whatever you do. Say whatever. whatever. Yeah, whatever you do. Whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, whether you're watching TV, whether you're going out, whether you're at the Buckeyes game, that hurts today, it hurts today. But whatever you do, wherever you go, do it all for the glory of God. All of it. All of it. Listen to me when I tell you that children are great imitators. Would you agree with that? Children are great imitators. So here's the thing. Give them something great to imitate. A life saturated with God. Number two. Very simple. Number two. Pray. Now, isn't it funny they would have to remind you as parents, as future parents, to pray? But we need that reminder, don't we? We do. Prayer is a fundamental way that we join forces with God in his victory over sin and evil and unbelief. Prayer. And so the second thing that we have to do as parents, as future parents, is to pray for our children and to teach our children how to pray. We gotta pray for our kids. But we also have to teach our children how to pray. Listen, as a Christian father and mother, there is not a day that should go by that you should not be praying over your children. 
Do you agree with me on that? There's not a day that should go by that you should not be praying over your children. Equally, there is not a day that goes by that you should not be praying with your children. Over and with. Over and with. Pray over them, pray with them. Pray over them, pray with them. This is how they learn to pray. Here's a crazy thing. Don't just pray on your way to work. Don't just pray in your prayer closet. Don't just pray in the war room. Don't just pray in the wherever. Like, pray out loud in front of your kids sometimes. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Boundaries. Boundaries. Can't do that. Why? Because, because you don't know how to pray? Why? Children are imitators. Give them something great to imitate. Pray. Pray like you mean it. Your children need to hear you lifting up your neighbors to Jesus. Your children need to hear you praying for the souls of your family members. Your children need to hear you praying for your wife, Dad. Your children need to hear you blessing your food and being thankful for what you have. Your children need to hear you praying. Your children need to hear you glorifying their God, their Father in heaven. They need to hear that from you. You! Oh, well, I would pray, but I just, uh, I just can't. Why? I just... I just can't. I think part of the reason that we can't is because maybe for some of us, when we pray in public, we go like old school. Do we have any old school prayers in here? You know what I'm talking about? When I was growing up, we, I was a very independent Baptist church, and, and uh, we lived in Maine for a period of time, and, and it was this, this, this church where every pew in the whole, the whole building was just made of wood. Just wood. The floors were wood. The pews were wood. And they created the pews in such a way where you could never be comfortable. So you're always kind of like sitting like, Ugh, I'm uncomfortable, right? But they would also have prayer meetings. We'd have midweek prayer meetings. And I swear to you that they would have the oldest of men with the deepest baritone voices stand up to pray. And they would always start off with something like this. Oh God, thou art the creator. Thou hast endowed us with all thine mercies. And so, no joking... I remember being asked to pray in our Sunday school. I couldn't have been more than six or seven. And so I'm asked to pray. So I stand up and <clears throat> let's bow our heads. God, thou art thine. I just was praying words I didn't even know. I just had no idea. Old English, just spouting up. Listen, when you talk to God, do just that. Talk to him. Because I guarantee you don't want to teach your kids how to pray in Old English. I just guarantee it. It's not going to be that relevant. I, do I say hast here or have? I don't really. Just talk to Jesus. That's how we teach our children how to pray. Do it in your children's presence. They need to hear you telling God how great he is. Just let your kids hear you. Number three. If number one is to live a, a, a life saturated with God, number two is to pray. Number three it's simple as well. Demonstrate the importance of the Bible. Demonstrate the importance of the Bible. The third is a lot like the second. Read your Bible. <laughs> but don't just read your Bible by yourself. Read your Bible with your kids. What a novel idea. Read scripture with your children. If you want to raise children who, who hope in the triumph of God, then you must, listen to me now, church, listen, you must make the Bible the single most important book in their lives. That's a strong statement. It's a strong book. I mean, when it comes down to it, do we really believe truly that the Bible is God's word for our lives? 
if it is God's words, if it truly is legitimately God's word for us, that makes it the most authoritative text in our world. Your children must see the Bible as the most important book in their lives. They have to know that when things are, are difficult, that you're going to open scripture for answers. They have to know that when things are going well, that you're going to open the Bible and read from it the praises of God. They have to know that this is going to be taking place. And here's the word that I want you to remember. If number two is the word genuine, or number, if, if, if one of the words is genuine, here's the other word I need you to, to write down. Consistent. Consistent. Genuine and consistent. 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 Because I'll tell you why. When it comes to scripture, when it comes to prayer, especially when it comes to reading scripture with your children, what you do every day matters than what you do every once in a while. What you do matters. <laughs> what you do every day matters more than what you do every once in a while. Well, I read, I read the Bible with my kids last month, so I'm good for about seven. Now, oh, man, every day, every day, consistent, genuine, consistent, genuine, consistent, genuine, consistent. This is why it says in Proverbs 22, 6, that we're supposed to train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they get old, they won't leave. They won't depart from it. Why is it that we have so many children who depart from, quote, the faith, the church, as soon as they graduate? Because there's not been any genuine consistency in the home. You want to blame it on your church? Go ahead. But I guarantee you, if there were genuine, consistent, God-fearing, praying, Bible-reading parents, they would train up their children in the way that they should go, and when they graduate, they won't depart from it. I didn't say they ain't going to go a little crazy. But don't put that on someone else. They're your responsibility. Do the work of raising your children. Consistently demonstrate the Bible with your kids. We're getting close. Number four. Number four. This one, <clears throat> I've been praying about this one all week because I hope it hurts. You know, that's kind of a weird thing to pray. But I, I really, I do. I hope it hurts. I hope it stings. It stings me. It hurts me. It does. Number four. It's, it's simple. Number four. You ready for it? Spend real time with your kids. Spend real time with your kids. Real time with your kids. Deuteronomy 6 says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So this is a commandment on how to possess land. Verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commands, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Now let me break this one down. Let me, let me give you, whether you're going out, whether you're coming in, whether, whatever you're doing, all the time, we're to be with spending time with our kids, teaching them, training this. Now, now this is a diff difficult one in our culture, okay? So we're going to kind of try to get the ball rolling here, but it's probably going to be difficult in a short time and just a point this morning. As parents, we are charged with the responsibility to teach our children about all that God has done for them, all that God will do for them, all he's, he's in the act of doing. And the only real way to do this is being genuine, is being consistent, but it's being genuine and consistent over time. We have to spend real time with our kids. I'm convinced, and here's the issue, here's one of the issues. I'm convinced that a lot of the time, 
as parents, we, we purchase things for our kids that they don't need in order to fill a void that we've created. Now, now understand that. Let me say that one more time. Because that's, that's a strong thing to say. I think a lot of times as parents, we, we, we try to cover up our inconsistency in the fact that we don't spend real time maybe with our kids like we should by purchasing things. So we purchase things for our kids that they don't need in order to fill a void that we've created. Listen to me, parents, and believe me when I say that your children will know that you love them by your presence, not your presence. You just said the same thing twice. Yeah, spelled differently, and it makes a whole lot of difference. Your children will know that you love them by your presence, not your presence. You probably need to spend twice as much time with your kids and half as much money on your kids. You need to spend real time, real time. And I think that sometimes we work so much, let's just keep it real, sometimes we work so much that we really don't even know how to spend time with our kids anymore. We don't know what to do when we have them. So a lot of times we put them in front of a TV. A lot of times we, we take them somewhere where they can run off and we can watch them. Yes, we're spending time with them, but we need to spend real time with them. Are you with me? Do you agree with me on this? You spend real time with them. Real time, real time, real time with them. Let me, let me ask you this question. When is the last time you actually played with your kid? When is the last time you actually, like, played with your kid? Play is the work of children. That's what children do. That's their job. That's why it's so great to be a kid. You don't realize it when you're a kid. You get old and you're like, my job as a kid was to play. That's an awesome job. But then somehow we get older and we forget as adults how to play. And so we don't know how to play with our kids. We don't, we don't know how to do it. So we watch TV together. We play video games together. We, whatever. We think we're interacting, but there's something that's interfering in our relationship. Do you, do you agree with me? Is this making sense? Um, and, and here's a point about playing with your kids. You're probably going to feel stupid. You're probably going to look dumb. Like, here's an example. My son, Noah, he's, he's with us today in our service. He usually comes a second, but he's here, he's here first. So uh, he's really in, into Star Wars lately. And so we have, I think... 13 lightsabers at our house right now, currently, between our five children. And uh, so the other day, he was like, Dad, let's go have a lightsaber war. And I was like, I don't really want to go outside. It's cold. I just got home from work. And he's like, come on, let's go outside. And I was like, all right, all right. So we grab a lightsaber, and then Stella runs out, and he had a lightsaber. Remember this? Yeah. And, uh, and so all of a sudden, I'm running, and I'm doing battle, and, and, you know, Estella is smacking the fire out of my neck with a little plastic tube. <laughs> That I have to pretend like it's funny, but it actually hurts, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, like Noah sticks his hand like this at me and does this. Now, as a parent, you have one choice. <laughs> Two choices, really. You can look and be like, what are you doing right now? Or you can grip your neck like you can't breathe and there's lightning coming at you. The first of which makes logical sense to anyone watching you. The second one makes sense when you're trying to raise a parent that you spend time with. I'd like to say I made the right choice, but I actually said, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm choking you right now, Dad. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, and then you grab your neck and you fall to your knees and you pretend like you're dead. Listen, I'm not a perfect parent, but I'm saying like, we need to play with our kids. You need to play with them. 
You need to wrestle with them. You need to throw them around on the bed. You need to wrestle with them on the floor. You need to show them that you love them by spending real time with them. Be 100% where you are when you're there. <laughs> Can I just say this? Put your cell phone down. Your parents, your, your kids need to know that you're a great parent more than your newsfeed and Facebook friends do. Don't worry about taking selfies of you and your kids. Proving that you're a good dad. Prove that you're a good dad by spending time with your children. Maybe even undocumented. The world may never know. But if your child does, it was worth it. Next, number five. Number five. And we'll end with this one because we're out of time. Love them with humility. Ephesians 4, 2 tells us that we are to act with all humility and gentleness and patience with all people. Here's the point of this. Our kids should get the best of us, not the rest of us. Our kids should get the best of us, not the rest of us. Listen to me just real quickly. If, if you gain the whole world, but, but don't love your kids, what have you gained? Nothing. If you have every talent, but you don't love your kids, what have you gained? If you have all the money, but you don't love your kids, what have you gained? Nothing. You need to love your kids the way that God loves you. Relentlessly, ferociously, fearlessly. You need to love them that way. And, and listen, that doesn't mean that we don't reprove our children. It doesn't. Over and over in scriptures, in Hebrews, and in, uh, in Philippians, and in Revelation, we see this the scriptures telling, in Proverbs, says that God rebukes his children. God rebukes and disciplines those that he loves. You need to discipline your kids. You need to. If you don't do the hard work of disciplining your kids, your kids aren't going to really know that you truly love them. Now, how you go about disciplining is, is your own business, but it, it should be done in a respectful way that respects them as people, but also shows that, that there is a dad in the house. There is a mother who is on duty, right? Who will be listened to, who will be obeyed. And going along with this point too, loving them with humility. When you, when you mess up, apologize, John Wayne. Apologize. Apologizing is not a, a show of weakness. It's a, it's a show of strength. Show them that you can be wrong. Apologize. They'll love you for that. Now, listen, we've got to close with this. Got so much more. Time is out. All this is hard work. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to be a parent. It's hard to raise godly children. It is a difficult thing. It is, it is a glorious inconvenience because children are a glorious interruption, but they're also a sanctifier. Because while you're training them up to be like Christ, you are also growing in your relationship with Christ. While you are trying to uh, read scripture to them, you're learning scripture. While you're praying over them, you're, you're growing in your relationship with Christ. And that's all part of God's design for the family. You get that, right? A father, a mother, a child, children. That's how God created it to, to function, leading and loving and I'm not saying that it's a parent's responsibility to have godly children. Okay, I understand that. It's not a parent's responsibility to have godly children. But it is a parent's responsibility to make sure their children have godly parents. I had to get that out because that's good. Yeah, and I have to say this in, clo in closing. I'll say it in clothing as well. <laughs> For your sake. Dads, fathers, 
the strongest burden of responsibility is on you in this manner, in this, in this issue. Because our children get their view of God from their fathers. Let that soak in. So if you are never there, their view of God is going to be somebody who is never there. If you lie to them all the time and you don't come through, their view of God is going to be someone who never comes through. If you are mean and, and judgmental and harsh and militant on them, their view of God is going to be the same. So, so think about how you act, knowing that you are shaping them, and not only shaping them, but their view of God. I'll leave you with this question. Write this down. And I'm going to ask this in your, in, from your point of view, from my point of view. What if, this is a question you've got to ask, what if my greatest contribution to the kingdom of God isn't something I do, but someone I raise? What if my greatest contribution to the kingdom of God isn't something I do, but someone I raise? So I want to encourage you, work as worship. And when it comes to raising your children, don't just see them as an inconvenience. See them as a glorious one. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, Our Work as Worship at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us for more information and to listen to more impactful sermon audios just like this.